believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. I am endeavoring to lay down a foundation of concepts that will help you see truth as you go back through the scriptures in a new, fresh way. Uh, many of the stories in the Bible, if you don't understand the very beginning in the book of Genesis, in the context of those two instincts that all men are created with, and women, the property instinct and the sexual instinct, when you understand that those two fundamental principles are what make the world go round, literally. If you foul either one of those up, it is a force of death. And we have been proving this since Adam and Eve, haven't we? Uh, sexual promiscuity brings death, disease, plagues, problems, greed on the financial side, the desire to obtain property. If that is not balanced and submitted to the law of God, greed and theft become destructive forces in society. Either one out of balance is destructive. Our nation right now, the United States of America, is suffering because of greed and sexual promiscuity. Those are the two most powerful instincts and two most powerful forces that our Creator embedded into us in Eden. And the instincts themselves are beautiful, wonderful, and perfect within God's plan. It is only when we become lawless with them we shrug aside the law of God and we begin to do it on our own terms. We have described the abuse of these two primal instincts that God programmed in us. The improper use of them, we have coined the term defective dominion. And I said last Sunday, defective dominion demands death. And so when we have Jesus telling us, announcing in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that he's come to give us life, he is quite literally 
countering the problems created through defective dominion. So when we understand life in the New Testament, the concept of zoe, which is the Greek word that is used, we always should filter it through an understanding of what Jesus is really saying is I want you to follow the original command of Father God to Adam and Eve before they sinned when he said, I want you to take dominion and subdue the earth. So when Jesus says, I've come to give you life, we could um, paraphrase and add on to that only for the sake of context and understanding theologically what Jesus was announcing. I have come to restore the proper righteous dominion of man. And we see Jesus as the second Adam in the second garden. When we contrast what we call the Great Commission with the original command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply sexual instinct and have dominion and subdue the earth property instinct, we get to the Great Commission and we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam in the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, correcting history setting history back on course toward an ultimatum between God and his creatures. So Jesus interrupts history. He grabs onto the weight of the world and goes, Aah! and puts us back on track and shows us the way and says the way is straight and narrow. Walk on it faithfully. Don't get off. The way that is wide, which is any other way except this way, very wide, if you think of it in terms of geometry, if this is the way, then the other 340 degrees is the wide road that leads to destruction. And so when Jesus says, I baptize you, I commission you to go into all the world, Jesus says, and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the great commission to make disciples of nations, to go out over the whole world is a restatement of the original command of God in the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, Father God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the world up with righteous human beings. They refused. They filled the world up with sinners that needed to be drowned in the story of Noah. They did the opposite because it's dysfunctional dominion. They took dominion okay, but not correctly. They took dysfunctional dominion. They shoved God aside. God said, this is my property in the middle of the garden. They said, no, I think we're, we're going to eat. We're going to treat it as if it's ours too. So they violated their property instinct, and they violated their sexual instinct. They reproduced okay. They filled the world full of wickedness, and they treated what only belonged to God as if it was theirs effectively brushing him aside and listening to the deception of Lucifer. And the result was what? When Noah comes along, the world is characterized two ways, full of wicked people who are thieves because of greed, their property instinct is out of control, and the world is filled with sexual perversion. These two issues remain the issue to confront at this hour these are the two essential issues we must face if we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfill our purpose in the earth. We're to fill the whole world up with children, beautiful, righteous children. Married couples have inherited, the Bible says, the grace of life, the ability through sexual intimacy to create new lives. It's a beautiful gift. Don't ever treat it poorly. 
we're far too cavalier with birth control. We're far too materialistic with the excuses that we make on why we don't want to have children as married couples. And it is a sin, and it is wrong. There are justified reasons for couples to decide at some point in their marriage, perhaps, that they should not continue having children. But much of the time, it is just rebellion. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Secondly, Jesus said, I have a solution for a world filled with unrighteousness, filled with people like the first time when I had to deal with this through a flood and and drowned all of them. The world, again, it is filled with people who are sexually perverted, and it is filled with people who are greedy and envious and full of theft. And here is my solution. Go and preach the gospel and then convert them having a born-twice experience. Get them born out of darkness and born into a new set of parents. We have all these offspring of Adam and Eve filling up the malls and the shopping places. They pervert our holidays. They don't want the name of Christ in any of the music. They're once-borners. They asked Jesus, what would it be like at the end of the world? He said, just like when Noah was here. And so our great commission as married couples is have children. Our great commission as the body of Christ is get the unrighteous children who filled up the world to repent and be reborn again and made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. The great commission is really an extraordinary revisiting of the original plan of God the Father in the Garden of Eden. The two are in perfect harmony And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe should not have to to perish because dysfunctional dominion demands death. Christ announces to the world, I have come to bring you life. I'm going to show you how to take dominion in a righteous way. Use your sexual instinct in a beautiful way. Use your property acquisition desire in a right way for the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello, everyone. It's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history, and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who was this woman. She had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen, and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions, or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now, that sounds simple to ask that question, and people flippantly answer it, but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic, 
and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing, and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it, and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says, or should they bow down to the threat of consequences? Because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. StepsToPoliticalEpiphany.com That's StepsToPoliticalEpiphany.com Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. To Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Christ announces to the world, I have come to bring you life. I'm going to show you how to take dominion in a righteous way. Use your sexual instinct in a beautiful way. Use your property acquisition desire in a right way for the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. And he uses specifically the word zoe. And we said that there are really three, three ways to understand zoe life. Jesus explicitly says, as the Father, I believe it's in John chapter 5, as the Father of heaven hath had zoe in himself, so hath he given his zoe to be in his Son. And so Jesus tells us where Zoe life comes from. It comes from Father, Father God, the same Father that breathed into the clay in the Garden of Eden, and they became a living theonoustos, God-breathed soul in the image and likeness of God. And Jesus is really sort of saying, I've, I've come back to breathe upon you again. And there is a moment that's beautiful in the New Testament where Jesus looks at his disciples after a couple of years he looks at his disciples and it says, and he breathed on them. And he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus wants to breathe on the clay of mankind instead of drowning us all. But there is a limited time when you can accept the breath of God in your lungs. And he will not endure dysfunctional dominion forever. He will put an end to it. God hates dysfunctional dominion. That's why he assigned all of you to die. He will not allow your shenanigans to go on endlessly. He put an angel, actually multiple angels, if we read it carefully, with flaming swords to make sure Adam and Eve in their rebellion never came back in and ate from the tree of life because then their physical bodies would never die. And God is not interested in dysfunctional dominion. He is looking for ways and opportunities, and will find them, to thwart the inheritance that you leave to your children if you're a wicked man. He's gone so far to say that you can make all the plans, you can drop all the papers, you can have your will, you can have your great big estate, but the wealth of the wicked, he says, is laid up for the just. There is no legal will in the United States of America that can get around God's hatred of dysfunctional dominion. He will find a way to bring your money to naught. On the other side, 
If you are a child of God and you submit your heart to God and you repent of your sins and let the Lord birth you again into a new family where your father is in heaven instead of hell, then he is carefully guarding over the inheritance that you leave to generations. He's not willing to allow physical death to stop your dominion. And he has said in his word, a righteous man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. You need more than a legal document to leave a legacy when you die. You need Jesus. You need God from heaven saying, I'm looking out for the legacy that you're leaving. I'm watching your grandbabies and your great-grandbabies because you obeyed me. And that is the inheritance of all who come into the family of God. He is looking out that I leave something in this earth. And my death is temporary because you can't hold my body down. And we looked at what the Apostle Paul said about death. It looks like Satan defeats us at our funeral, doesn't it? It looks like we fought all through our life. We wrestled with the enemy. We fought evil. We, we sinned. We repented. We, we, we fought a battle. And finally, at the end, it looks like he wins. And Jesus showed us, I'm the first fruits. Watch what I do with death, Jesus said. And he came back. And you will too. Don't ever forget it. Sometimes it's easier to hear it now because we're not doing a funeral this morning and somebody that you love isn't dead and your emotions aren't running so wildly that it's hard for you to listen to the truth and focus. So I'm going to say it to you now and I hope you'll remember that Pastor Kerry said this at the next funeral of someone you loved. I hope you'll remember that I said they're coming back. You can't bury divine dominion. I mean, you can, but it comes back up out of the ground. It won't stay there. You can't hold righteous dominion down. So learn to take it now and cooperate with God. Well, there's three places we can look at Zoe, and I mentioned it to you. I want to get back to that. Number one, Jesus said Zoe comes from heaven. So we could go to the Scriptures, and we could study what does the Bible tell us about life in heaven? It's the God kind of life. That's what Zoe means in the Greek. Jesus said, I've come that you might have Zoe. As the Father hath Zoe in himself, so hath the Father given the Son to have Zoe in himself. And then what does Jesus turn around and do? He gives us his life. And I've come that you might have Zoe and that you might have it more abundantly. So Father God is saying, I breathed into all of you. That's what made you alive the first time. Because of sin, you're like walking dead. So I'm coming back and I'm breathing on you again. I want to bring you back from the dysfunctional dominion that demands death have come to bring you life. The second place that we can look at the God kind of life or how Zoe works is down here on earth through the life of Jesus because he said that Father gave him Zoe. And we see that the life of God is with us in the struggle. The life of God is helping us overcome our struggles and our difficulties, no matter how bad it looks. And the Apostle Paul gave us those four terms, three of them exclusively belonging to what the ancient Romans called the agonies. That's where we get our word agony, suffering. But the agonies was a a word for their contests, their sporting events, their games. And I was discussing this last night at dinner, and when I say sporting events, contests, and games, it doesn't really line up with your idea of sporting events, contests, and games because in their sporting events, people died routinely. 
And so it's a bit more of a harsh concept, frankly, than just saying wrestling. I mean, wrestling now in high school with a nice cushy mat and your skin-tight little spandex panty things that you put on. This is not the kind of wrestling that went on in ancient Rome. There's no pad. There's no spandex. These guys were brutal. People died in a wrestling match. And Paul describes specifically in his fourth description the victor so strong and the guy that's losing so defeated and so weak he can't fight back anymore, exhausted, and he picks up the opponent and slams him to the ground. And I think that that is a picture of death. And, you know, basically no one got back up after that. If that happened in a wrestling match in ancient Rome, you were lifted up by some beast of a man and slammed to the ground like a rag doll. You didn't get back up. But the Apostle Paul, poking us about the resurrection, says, I'm cast down, but I get back up. And that's the picture of how life works in the midst of the struggle. Even when it looks like you failed and you're dead, Zoe is bringing you back. And so here we are on earth, there's a struggle. There's fights, there's difficulties, there's funerals. And so the world is filled with death, it's all around us. There are forces at work trying to destroy all of us, kill us. We're in a wrestling match. And so we can look at Jesus and watch him in the midst of his own agonies. And I said this, and I want to emphasize it again. I don't want you to forget this. Jesus' suffering, we always tend to throw that up on Calvary on the cross. But the Bible explicitly explains that Jesus began suffering at the moment he entered public ministry. His suffering was not necessarily physical, though they tried a couple of times. But Jesus' suffering began when he announced his ministry in public. His suffering was at the hands of people's big mouths and their rumors and their criticisms and their lies and their distortions. So anyone who follows Jesus will have to suffer because of the mouths of other humans. His sufferings crescendoed absolutely on the cross because they became both intensely physical and very deeply spiritual. But Jesus began to suffer. He was in the agonies, ladies and gentlemen. He was in the wrestling match. He was fighting the powers of darkness. He said so much, I have come to destroy the powers of darkness. Jesus didn't come to run away from the wrestling match, and you shouldn't either. So we watch Zoe and the grace of God at work in the midst of the struggle when we look at Jesus for three and a half years preaching. And then finally, we see what Zoe life with the grace of God will do to the dead who die in Christ. So we could look in heaven to study Zoe. We could go to the life of Jesus on earth. And then we come to this verse. Um, Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. I touched on this last week. I want to read it again, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 after that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. There's a phrase here, I want you to see it. There's a third place where we can go find a demonstration of the Zoe life of God down here in the midst of the agonies. And by watching that struggle and the overcoming champion spirit of God working through men, we can see how we face our struggles and battles now. 
Hebrews 10.1 gives us a tip. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Say shadow. And not the very image of the things. So the law, that's a reference to the Torah. Your Old Testament. The Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. What is being implied is there are things you can learn and only learn, by the way. Only learn by reading the Old Testament. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Not too far from there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's begin with verse 1. And then I'm going to skip to verse 5 after I read you verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Skip to verse 5. But... But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So two things are happening, if we can pause there a moment. The Hebrew people, back in the times of Moses is the reference. They were in the midst of a struggle, and some of them failed. And some of them did not fail. Now, why is that important to know? Well, uh, look at, uh, I think it's verse 11. Now these things, is that verse 11? Now these things, what? When, when people were in the midst of agonies and, and they failed, and then others did not fail in the struggle of life in a messed up world, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Oh, look at that. He's referencing the property instinct and the sexual instinct, isn't he? I'm sorry, that's verse 6. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. So there are three places to study how the life of God is supposed to work. One, we can go through the Scripture and we can find out about heaven, and that needs to be done. If you don't understand heaven, you will get tainted in your view of what zoe means. The second is we look at how Jesus used the life of God that he told us that God gave him in John chapter 5 and look at how he worked out zoe life in the midst of a culture of death and people that wanted to kill him, and people that wanted to hurt him with their mouth, and lie, and bear false witness, and steal. Judas stole. Jesus suffered with all kinds of people breaking the commandments of God every day. He was in the agonies, and so are you. So we learn there. And then thirdly, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the Torah, is filled with examples that show us specifically how to fight through battles as they relate to two primal instincts created by God, your property instinct and your sexual instinct. They lusted, and because of their lust, they failed. This is for your example that you not lust and fail the same way they did. Can you say amen? So if you want to learn how the life of God defeats the death that comes through lust, then we can go to the Old Testament. 
This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 